And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. I hope everyone enjoyed our last episode where I was joined by my brother, Jason Giaconetti, to take a look at the classic. Godzilla film, Godzilla vs. Hedra, of course, also known as Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster here in the United States. A lot of fun. I thought that was a really, uh, I think we did a really good job covering that movie and, and really giving it some uh, some attention to detail. So I was very happy with how that episode came out. I hope everyone out there listening enjoyed it as well. Today we've got uh, a little bit uh, less... Um, thoughtful <laughs> topic. We're going to be taking a look at SNK's classic wrestling giant monster arcade mashup, King of the Monsters, which if you ever were in an arcade uh, in the 90s, you probably saw this game at least once on a, a Neo Geo uh, MVS uh, cabinet. But uh, before we get to that, we do have a couple of pieces of news to cover, just a few this time out. So let's get right into it. First off, Godzilla vs. Kong toys are hitting stores locally, at least here in the uh, upstate of South Carolina, where I am located. Uh, we have two basic sets. We've got the smaller sets, which have two different Godzillas, a Kong, and a skull crawler, uh, all of these featuring various forms of battle damage pieces. And then we do have two larger ones. We have a large Kong and a large Godzilla. Uh, they, they, I mean, they're, they're playmates. They are obviously not quite as nice as the, the Bandai uh, type of vinyls, but they still look pretty cool. I definitely want to get that skull crawler. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to end up buying most of this line just because I'm, I have a hard time resisting. Uh, now, I do know that there was... Uh, like, um, you know, li like UPC or, um, I forget what the, what the number they call it at Walmart. Those type of listings were leaked a while ago of a bunch of classic monsters also being released by Playmates. So that might be later. I, we haven't seen anything like that. Like I remember there being like a, a Jet Jaguar and a, a Megalon or stuff like that. But so we'll see if anything comes of that or if those listings might've been, you know, just fake or, or whatever, or maybe just, um, too early or, or whatnot. So not, none of that stuff yet, but still looks pretty cool. I mean, like I said, they're playmates. They're clearly children's toys, not collectibles, but you know what? I mean, uh, I've got, I've got all the King of the Monsters line up in my, uh, in, in my house. So, uh, I know I'm, I'll be down with getting these for sure. In Ultraman news, Ultraman Kaiju Clash Battle Chess Game is coming third quarter from Elevated Games. Uh, not much e info is out there. I found this almost by accident on Twitter. If you search for Ultraman Kaiju Clash, you'll be able to uh, to find this. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it has an interesting... It, it looks kind of interesting just from the little bit that we've seen. Uh, you know, just kind of the description as Battle Chess. So I don't know if that means that it's actually chess and it's like themed like the old um i guess what was this called battle chess was what it was called the old pc game 
uh, with with Ultraman uh, models, or if it means that it's like turn-based combat, but you move like chess pieces. I'm not sure what it means, so I'm keeping an eye on it. Uh, it's supposed to be a, uh, a a mobile game, I believe. So uh, be interested to check that out. Always out for more Ultraman games, and you know, a little bit of strategy is nice as well. Finally, I have an email here from Jason uh, regarding a new kit. The uh, email is entitled Glow in the Dark Godzilla, and here's what Jay has to say. Hey, Luke, Atlantis is re-releasing the 1972 Glow in the Dark Godzilla kit. See the below post courtesy of Kaiju expert August Dragon. The return of Aurora's 1972 Glows in the Dark Godzilla kit. Atlantis, one of the U.S. companies that has reissued classic plastic models as Monarch and Polar Lights before them, has announced the return of the famous kit from the original Aurora tooling, molded in blue-green plus the extra glows-in-the-dark parts Aurora ballyhooed in the 70s. This was the only faithful plastic icon of the King of the Monsters available to hordes of Godzilla maniac monster kids in the 70s and was the cornerstone of our devotion. As did the original, this kit stands 8.5 inches tall, packaged in the classic 70s square box, 1 500th scale. Now up for pre-order, expected release date is September 15th, 2020, MSRP $32.99. Polar Lights previously released a, or excuse me, issued a repro of the 1960s Aurora Longbox Godzilla before the event of the -the glow-in-the-dark parts. And you can find Atlantis models at atlantis-models.com. Now, uh, Jay comments, he goes, a direct link is below, and I will try to post this in the show notes. To me... Jay says, $33 seems kind of steep for a plastic model kit, but considering the price of plastic, it is actually in line given that this is a special release with the -the glow-in-the-dark parts. I just figured your listeners might be interested. Keep up the great work and keep them stomping, Jason. First off, Jason, thank you very much for for passing that. There's a couple of Godzilla kits, like mass market plastic kits, but I hadn't seen the -the glow-in-the-dark one. And I have that Polar Lights kit, one of the one of the first real nice you know uh, uh, figure kits that I that I built as a young man, and my brother actually got me a recast head for it that has Godzilla holding the a train car in his mouth. So mine looks a little bit different just because it's got that that cool recast head. I'm gonna have to really seriously consider picking this up because I love glow in the dark stuff and I love that Aurora Godzilla that Aurora Godzilla kit. My dad had has had my entire life. Obviously, he built it long before I was born, and I always loved that kit. Even though I have the one, it's I really do like it. Uh, I'm just not much of a modeler these days, unfortunately. My brother is really the modeler in the family. My dad was, um, you know, a modeler growing, growing up and still does kits, but uh, my, my brother is the real modeler, and so it's tough for me to, to do that. But, you know, I, I do love that Aurora Godzilla, so... Um, you know, I built an Aurora mummy a few years back and and a reissue, I should say, not an original, obviously. And that was a lot of fun. And I really did have, uh, I I think it came out well and I enjoyed it. So I may pick this one up and and build another one so I can have, uh, you know, a glow in the dark one and one with an alternate head. And maybe I can find another one that's not glow in the dark and, you know, just have a, have a bunch of Aurora Godzillas on a shelf. So if you have any news or information you'd like to share, with Earth Destruction Directive, you can email us at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com and we will uh, drop you a, a, a hat tip here on the show and uh, share that information with the listeners. All right, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back to talk about King of the Monsters right here on Earth Destruction Directive. Two true freaks just got a little more random.
Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture, is now on the Two True Freaks Network. Every episode is something different. Movies, comics, television, music. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork, at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. King of the Monsters was developed by SNK and released to the arcade via their Neo Geo multi-video system, better known as the Neo Geo MVS, worldwide on February 25th, 1991. It was then ported to the Neo Geo Arcade Entertainment System, better known as the AES, the home version of the Neo Geo, later that year on July 1st, again worldwide. The game was later ported to the Super Nintendo in 1992, and then the Genesis in 1993, and later has been ported to various modern consoles, which we'll talk about a little bit later. The producer and director is credited as Hamachi Papa. The main programmer is Makoto. The assistant programmer is Yamatan. Uh, the chief designer is Mitsuzo, and the main design is Tomomi. Now, if you look at the credits for a lot of these individuals, they're all a lot of the other SNK games from around this era, and to be fair, not a lot of these are ones that stand out. There's a lot of games that, you know, you've probably heard of if you're an SNK fan like I am, but they're not the really standout games, with one exception. The assistant programmer, Yamaton, would go on to also be a programmer for Fatal Fury, Fatal Fury 2, and Fatal Fury Special. Of course, the Fatal Fury series was the original SNK fighting game franchise that caught on and was what became uh, one half of the two series, along with Art of Fighting, that became the basis for the extremely popular and still running to this day King of Fighters fighting series from SNK. So the premise of the game is a hybrid Daikaiju pro wrestling game. Uh, yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. Now, the story is that in 1996, the far-flung future of 1996, monsters brawl through Japanese cities, leveling anything in their path, like a Daikaiju movie, but they use wrestling moves, like pile drivers and suplexes. And then to win, they have to pin their opponent to the, well, not a mat, but to the ground, for three seconds. This mashup of two things that I love monsters and professional wrestling made the game an instant hit for me and my brother Jason when I first encountered it in the arcades and this likely would have been one of the numerous arcades somewhere on Walt Disney World property as that was the main source of arcades that I had was when we were on vacation there were many different arcades there still are I don't know if uh, there still are I shouldn't say that there was the last time I was there but that was a while ago so uh, like any good fighting game, you have a variety of characters to choose from. There are six monsters available in this game. There is Geon, or Gion. G-E in Japanese is pronounced like Get, so Geon, who is 45 meter, who is 45 meters tall, weighs 40,000 tons. He is a giant, fire-breathing, green-spined dinosaur. I wonder who he's supposed to be. But don't worry, Geon has a horn on his head, so you can tell he is not that other monster. 
Now the Genesis port, which I own, does include a manual which has bios of some of the monsters. And the bio for Gaon is, Global warming melts the glacier that has kept Gaon frozen in suspended animation for thousands of years. Now he's awake with centuries of destruction to make up for. With his sharp horn and powerful tail, he delights in crushing cities to rubble for the fun of it. Power weapon, Flame Crusher. Yep, like I said, he's fire breathing. Our next monster is Woo, a giant ape, who weighs in at 22,000 tons and a height of 43 meters. I wonder who he is supposed to be. He even has electrical powers like the Japanese uh, King Kong in King Kong vs. Godzilla. Now, unfortunately, Wu is not featured in the ports, so I don't have a bio for him from the, uh, the Genesis manual. Uh, up next is Poison Ghost, uh, at 44 meters tall and weighing in at 50,000 tons, a giant upright walking blob. He reminds me and most players of Hedra, considering his, uh, his green color uh, as his base color and the fact that he looks like a big blob. And he's called the Poison Ghost, so he's obviously poisonous. Uh, his special power involves stretching his arm out like a battering ram, like he charges it up and then his arm actually stretches out. It's a very neat visual effect, one of the coolest ones in the game. Unfortunately, Poison Ghost also not in the ports, which is not really surprising because I think that move might be the graphically most advanced thing in this game. What's interesting is that uh, when in the game when you get pinned and you continue... Um, a lightning bolt comes down and hits your monster and they're revitalized. So most monsters you get to see uh, their skeletal structure. When it hits Poison Ghost, all you see is a brain with a bunch of nerve endings. So there's no, he has no skeletal structure at all, which I thought was really neat and also further reminds me of Hedra. Uh, the next monster is Rocky at 44 meters tall and weighing in at the heaviest of 60,000 tons. A giant stone monster. He looks like he was hewn from a mountain rather than a statue. But, uh, you know, he's sort of a play on Daimajin in that sense and that he's made of stone. Uh, but admittedly pretty different because he looks, like I said, looks like uh, an outcropping of rocks more so than something that was carved by human hands. Now, Rocky is in the ports and we do have a bio for him. Uh, it's, uh, the bio goes, it's like watching a mountain sprout arms and legs. That's Rocky. And even Mother Nature quakes to see this ton of stone Lumbering along, smashing flat everything in its wake. Power weapon, Rocky Bomber. Rocky is a really cool monster in this. I do, I do like him quite a bit. The next monster is actually named Beetle Mania. Yes, I'm not making this up. At 45 meters tall and weighing in at 25,000 pounds, he is a giant anthropomorphic rhinoceros beetle. Unsurprisingly, a lot of people think of him kind of like Megalon, since Megalon's also a giant uh, upright anthropomorphic rhinoceros beetle. Now, Beetlemania also included in the ports. His bio goes that this huge mutated beetle grew up in the rainforest, but now he's looking for new places to destroy. Full of anger and with no intelligence to speak of, this is a powerful foe to encounter in his power weapon, the Beetle Missile. Very cool character. I like Beetlemania and I love the joke on his name. Now, to be fair, his name is spelled with two E's, not E-A. So it is, it is a, uh, you know, it, it's not 100%, but the joke is obviously there. The last fighter actually is not a monster, per se. Our last fighter is Astro Guy. At 45 meters tall, weighing in at 40,000 tons, he's ostensibly the hero 
a giant humanoid a la Ultraman, a Kyodai hero, if you will. But he doesn't seem as put upon by violence as Ultraman, though, as, as we see. Now, Astro Guy, also featured in the ports in his bio, goes that instead of preventing the reign of terror with his huge fists and mighty torso, Astro Guy causes just as much, if not more, destruction as the monsters he's trying to stop. A perfect case of all brawn, no brains. Power Weapon the Flash Wave, and yes, the Power Weapon is exactly what you'd think, it looks just like the Specium Beam. Now again, like a fighting game, you not only need characters, you also need stages to fight in. In this case, you're fighting all across Japan. There are six environments to fight in. There is Tokyo, Kyoto, Okiyama, Osaka, Kobe, and Hiroshima. Now, uh, of this, again, much like there are only four monsters featured in the ports, there are only four cities. So we get... Uh, we lose Kobe and Hiroshima, uh, and uh, Kyoto, Akiyama, and Osaka are actually renamed, which I never quite understood. So Kyoto has been renamed to Castle City, Okiyama to Megaport, and Osaka to Dragon City. Now, each stage is utterly destroyable, with players actually earning points for destroying buildings and leaving contaminated ruins behind. As the battle progresses throughout the city, more and more of it is smashed, it, this is a great early example of what we now call a destructible environment in gaming, which became, uh, you know, very much more common in, in next-gen systems. But here it is, this right in 1991, where you can literally tear apart the environment that you're in. Now, each city has landmarks, uh, such as uh, the Diet Building and Tokyo Tower in Tokyo, and then the Great Seto Bridge in Okiyama. Uh, all of these uh, landmarks, completely destroyable. In fact, usually the bigger the landmark, the more points you get for destroying it. Whether you just, just walk up to it and hit it and knock it down, or if you manage to throw your opponent into it, usually you get the points too. Uh, and sometimes if your opponent throws you into it, sometimes you get the points. So it's really just destroying the city is the great thing. In fact, um, at the end of each round, you're given a bonus, uh, bonus points and your life bar partially refilled based on how much destruction, even though the American adaptation says distraction, how much destruction you cause, how much contamination you cause, and how many casualties you cause. Uh, and that's not a, a just a, a passing phrase. Each city also has a bunch of humanity in it, in the form of a bunch of military and civilian vehicles, which uh, drive through or fly around the, uh, or even sail through their ships as well, through the different uh, cities. Most of these can be grabbed and picked up, and then thrown as a weapon at your opponents. The The train is my favorite. It's In Tokyo, there's a, a Shinosen train that will come, and if you, if you get in it, if it runs into you, it derails and crashes, you can pick it up, and it throws it, and it looks like a whip. It's just so neat. It, this, I mean, it's everything in this is uh, is all over. It is is just right on point as far as pushing the envelope of what you'd expect in a Daikaiju wrestling game. Uh, the graphics are very bright and very well detailed. Definitely has that SNK color, the really bright popping color. Uh, the characters have a lot of personality. When you do certain moves, uh, including usually the basic body slam, each of the characters actually does a taunt. So like uh, Rocky will, uh, you know, put his uh, put his hands together and shake his hands above his head, like saying, you know, congrats, you know, thank you, thank you. Uh, Astro guy will flex. Beetlemania will flex. Uh, you know, so uh, it um, it's it's they they look like wrestlers, like they're taunting their opponent after they've they've thrown them through the ring. Additionally, being an SNK game, the sound is 
really nice in this game. Typical strong SNK soundtrack. Each monster has their own theme. Uh, so you get, you get a bunch of different tunes throughout it. And because the fights, they're not as quick as a, as a regular fighting game because it's a wrestling game. You get to hear a lot more of the music, which it, which is a really nice touch. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be cutting in music from the, the game through this episode so you get to enjoy it. Additionally, the, the cities themselves, I like that they're, they're very varied. They're well detailed and they look really neat with all the vehicles zooming around, but each one is unique and different and they're recognizably different. Uh, now again, I've never been to Japan, but the idea of just having all the landmarks, I'm sure that really did uh, play well in the Japanese market of having these, you know, like I said, Tokyo Tower and the Diet are the two that really jump out at me uh, in Tokyo because they're, first of all, they're, they're front and center. Uh, but they're also so recognizable. You know, Godzilla, of course, classically destroyed the Diet in, in the original Godzilla. How many times has Tokyo Tower been, been taken down? So seeing them in the game was, was very welcome. So the gameplay itself is pretty straightforward. Uh, either two monsters or two teams of two monsters meet in the city and tear each other and everything else apart. Now, besides basic punches, punches and kicks, each monster has some grappling moves. They have a body slam plus three more grappling moves. Uh, one of these nominally is from the back, and the other two are from a front grapple. Now these pre these grapples are generally fall into a couple of different categories. You've got pro wrestling moves such as the pile driver, the atomic drop. Uh, a couple of people have judo style suplexes. This is uh, Atomic Guy, and uh, not Atomic Guy, Astro Guy. He's called Atomic Guy in the sequel. Spoilers alert. Uh, <laughs> Astro Guy and Wu both have like a a shoulder judo suplex. And uh, then there's some more vicious attacks, like biting or choking. Like, Gaon will actually bite into his opponent. Uh, Beetlemania will double goozle him and pick him up and choke him, that kind of thing. Uh, now, each monster also has a dashing move, because of the three buttons, you have uh, punch, kick, and dash. And so the, uh, the, the dashing move is you'll run, and then you have to, you know, hit the attack button, and you'll do a running attack. So here, like, Wu does a jumping hip attack. Astro Guy does a running drop kick, that sort of thing. Now, each stage is bound on the left and right side of the screen by electrical projectors. Ironically, not too different from the electrodes we saw in Godzilla vs. Hedra. Uh, they act as ring ropes, and you can actually whip your opponents off the ropes to hit them on the rebound. Uh, which is which is pretty cool. Um, now, uh, each monster also has a special move, which has to be charged up and is then fired as a projectile. Now, to charge it, you hold your two attack buttons, which are A and B nominally on the uh, on the Neo Geo, and your monster will start to charge up. And once they flash, they start flashing. Then you can release them, and it will fire the projectile. Now, each one has a unique projectile, which is is pretty cool. As I said, Astro Guy's flash wave. Looks sort of like the Specium Beam. A big uh, energy beam comes out of his hands and uh, hits the opponent. Uh, Gaon has the Flame Crusher, and so each uh, breathes fire. You know, makes sense. Rocky actually f fires a giant boulder out of his chest. And uh, you can actually power these moves up, and I'll talk about that in a second. But the... Um, he, uh, the, uh, the, the first power-up is two boulders, and the third one is actually, you'd think it'd be three, it was just a really giant boulder. Uh, Beetlemania, the horn on his head uh, will fire off like a missile, uh, which, is, which is pretty neat. Wu fires an electrical, a, a big ball of electrical energy out of his hands. And Poison Ghost, as I said, stretches his arm out and smacks you with his, with his big hand. Uh, now, each time you perform certain moves, usually the grappling wrestling moves, a little power-up 
will pop out of your opponent. And if you get, I think it's, uh, I think it's eight of these, uh, you can power up from your current stage to the next one. I said there's three levels you can achieve. And the main thing is that it changes your color. And then it also upgrades your charge special move. So there's a lot of moves that you can use for a wrestling game. There's not a lot really for a fighting game. But you got, you know, punch, kick. You can, you can run and you have your running attack. You've got a body slam. You've got three grappling moves. You can kick opponents when they're down. You can pick them back up when they're down. And then, of course, like I said, you can always pick up all the weapons, all the weapons in the stage, whether that's the, uh, you know, a tank, a, a train, they jump up and grab. They have a flying tank that looks like a Super X. It actually was called the Super X-3 because there hadn't been a Super X-3 yet because this is 1991. We had only had one and two. Uh, so all of those. So you do have a, a decent amount of, of moves you can use from a wrestling game perspective, but not really from a fighting game perspective. So it's important to remember that this really is a wrestling game and not a fighting game. And that's why I think it, um, where I think some of the the, uh, the criticism of the game comes in. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, now the game itself, is, it's really action-packed and it doesn't let up. I mean, even when you're down, you're getting right back up to to continue fighting. And, there's, and the monsters are, are pretty aggressive, especially the the, uh, the computer AI. SNK AI is usually pretty tough, and, and this game's no exception. Uh, the difficulty does ramp up. Like I said, it, it is an SNK game, but it never feels super cheap. Um, when you get to some of the later monsters in the one-player mode, they they will win grapples very frequently on you because they start... So normally when you start, your your life bar is yellow, and as you take damage, it gets more red. They will start with like green or blue, and you have to keep hitting them a few times to get them down into being yellow. So if you try to grapple with them, a lot of times they're just going to win the grapples and toss you around. So you have to fight smart. You got to hit them with with punches and kicks. You got to hit them with uh, special attacks or you know throw uh, vehicles at them and get them down so they're a little bit weaker, and then you can start winning grapples. So it is it is difficult, no question, but it, it does seem at least approaching fair, which is not always the case with, uh, with SNK arcade games. Um, now, in the one-player mode, you fight all six monsters twice. So you, uh, you actually start... Uh, wherever you jump in, you start with the, the, the either, nominally you start with Gaon, but if you play as Gaon, you start with Wu or whomever, and then you fight yourself in the 6th and 12th match. So you fight the mirror version of yourself. If you win that last match, you're treated to a really funny but kind of black humor ending scene where we have the radio announcer that has been broadcasting at the beginning of certain stages throughout the game saying that the last monster standing is let's say it's Gaon and uh, he's how much longer can we hold out before he attacks the radio station and then the whole screen starts to shake and rubble starts falling from the ceiling and a big block of rubble falls and it appears to hit the radio broadcaster right as the screen goes to static so they, they, that's the end the end is the monsters win which is just so fantastic. It's so ridiculous, isn't it? I really do like that. Uh, that said, the real fun here is the two-player mode, either versus or co-op. This is where King of the Monsters shines. That's how Jay and I typically played uh, on the Genesis, was was one-on-one, -on -one because it just, the ports don't have the, the, uh, the, the two-player cooperative where you got four monsters on screen. The arcade has that. But we used to just play one-on-one because -on -one it was a wrestling game. It just happened to be with giant monsters. So it this, you know, just like similar arcade wrestling games, kind of like uh, uh, from Technos, like WWF Superstars and then its sequel WrestleFest, it was kind of like that. You had a few moves each, but, you know, big, bright characters and throwing people around, smashing stuff. That's where this game really shines. Definitely a, a two-player 
the type of game. So, uh, each character has some unique moves and some shared moves. All of them have at least something that's cool. Like I said, Gaon, uh, his standing, his kick when he is, uh, his regular kick, is a tail chop, which is just a great Godzilla reference. And I said, he, the bite. The bite is one of my favorites. He just chomps down on it. Even if it's Rocky, who's made of rock, he just chomps down on their shoulder and then throws them down, which is, is really very cool. Um, Woo, the hip attack is really funny because it makes me think of like uh, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes, you know, that, that he runs and jumps and hits you with the hip. But Wu also has, like I said, one of the, the judo throws where he does the, you know, grab the arm and throw him over the shoulder. And I think it's a great reference to King Kong versus Godzilla because Kong does the shoulder throw on Godzilla, which is fantastic. So a, a duck kind of, it's, it's a cool looking move, but also you think, oh, right, of course, it's a Kong reference. So that's pretty cool. Um, Poison Ghost, like I said, my favorite move with him is the arm stretch. That is just so neat because it's, it's just like the, the scaling of the, of the, the sprite. And it's, it's unique because nothing else in the game does that or behaves like that. So it really stands out anytime it comes out. It's very, very cool. Uh, Astro Guy, the running drop kick is probably my favorite one of his moves. First off, it's the running move. If you can, a lot of times your opponent will jump out of the way, but if you time it, the running move is actually really useful. Uh, especially, like I said, in some of those later stages where you've got to take the colors down to get to yellow so you can start damaging the opponent. The running, uh, the running attack can do some good damage and, uh, it just looks so neat. It's something, it's, it's something you expect, uh, Ultraman to do, even though it's sort of a common rider thing, right? So that, that is pretty cool. Also the, the flash wave, you know, I love the specium beam, so I'm, I'm just more prone. Um, Rocky, Rocky has some of my favorite moves in the game because his two front grapples, one of them is a, and Wu has this one too. It's like a bear hug. So he grabs you and, and you can see him just squeezing the, the other monster. But the sound effect, this bone cracking sound, really makes this move. It sells it really well. And with Rocky doing it because he's made of stone, you can imagine how much that's really just crushing it. It's like, it's like an avalanche, right? His other grapple is he banes him. He literally picks the other monster up over his head and breaks their back over his knee. It's like Roderick Strong couldn't do a better backbreaker than, than Rocky does in this game. It, it's That is probably... That is definitely one of my favorite grapples, and that is my favorite of Rocky's moves. That's just, I love that that backbreaker. It is so cool. And uh, Beatlemania, first off, his missile attack, where his horn, because his horn actually keeps getting bigger the more powered up his missile attack is. Uh, but he has the atomic drop, which is really neat, so his back grapple, he will do an atomic drop for those who don't watch wrestling. That's where you pick a guy, you grab him from behind, you pick them up in the air like you're going to throw them over your head, but actually you drop them back down and drive their coccyx onto your knee, onto your bent knee. And uh, so doing the atomic drop and the opponent just flies off and then he flexes is just a, a great move. He also has one of the coolest running moves where, because his running move, he'll dash and then he actually does like a back body drop. So he'll, if you hit it, he'll run and flip the other monster over his head so they'll land behind him. So it, it looks really, the first time you're like, what the hell is he doing? But then you see him hit it, it's like, oh, it's a back body drop. And it, it makes perfect sense. As I said, there's, there's a lot of cool moves. Now, there are some moves that are shared between characters. Not everyone has a 100% unique moveset. But there's, there's enough variety that whoever you pick, you're gonna, you're probably gonna like their moves and find something that, you know, a go-to move or go-to grapple that you like because it looks so cool. Now, as I said, the game was ported uh, back in the 90s a few times. It was ported to the Super Nintendo in 1992, 
and then the Genesis the following year, Genesis or Mega Drive, depending on, of course, which region you were in. Uh, both of those ports were by Takara, who did a lot of SNK's ports for the most part here in the West. Uh, the one I think of is I have Fatal Fury Special for the Game Gear, and that is also adapted by Takara. Takara does a, a good job on it. Uh, as I said, they drop Wu and Poison Ghost, along with Kobe and Hiroshima, but otherwise, at least for the Genesis one, I've never played the Super Nintendo, but I've heard that the Super Nintendo and Genesis ones are fairly, fairly close in this respect. Other than losing those two characters in two cities, they play very close to the arcade game. Obviously, the graphics and sound are a little bit rolled back going from uh, the uh, the MVS and AES to the 16-bit Genesis and Super Nintendo, but all the moves are there for the four characters. The cities that are there are pretty faithfully reproduced with all the destructible abilities. There's a bit less vehicles, but they still have all the vehicles, all the different types. So it really is a, a good representation of the game on a home console. It's not one of these ones sometimes you take an arcade game and um, the, the, the analogy that was back in the day from Sega Visions magazine was uh, taking a two liter bottle of soda and trying to pour it into an eight ounce glass. You know, it's, 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 you just don't have the, the power to, to do that on a, on a home board uh, and not, not for the price that you're looking at. Um, but, but that said, like I said, this one does a good job of it. I have the Genesis copy. This was my copy from, uh, my J and I's copy from, from our, our youths. And, uh, it's, as I said, we, we played a lot of this game, even with only four monsters and losing Wu is the big one. I mean, Poison Ghost is, is cool, but I can understand if they couldn't do this, the scaling on his arm, why they probably had to cut him. Uh, losing Wu was tough because Wu is, you know, King Kong. Got a King Kong Godzilla, right? But, but that said, the four monsters that remain, you know, Gaon, um, Rocky, Beatlemania, and Astro Guy are really cool anyway. And, uh, so, you know, I, I can't fault it too much. Somebody had to get cut. If Rocky got cut, I'd be like, well, I literally like Rocky. I love his backbreaker. If Beatlemania got cut or Astro Guy, you'd feel just as bummed. So it's unfortunate you don't have Wu in that version, but, you know, you got four cool monsters, so you make it work. Now, there was a sequel called King of the Monsters 2, The Next Thing, which came out in 1992. But that game, believe it or not, despite similar premise, is actually quite different than this game. So rather than get into that here, I'm going to cover that game separately. Um, a lot of the... I'm going to mention this when I talk about how this, how this game is available, but... Um, similar to how you can play King of the Monsters, you can also play King of the Monsters 2. So that will be another episode. We'll cover King of the Monsters 2 at another time. But they did they did make another appearance. Now, some of the characters from King of the Monsters 2 do later appear in Neo Geo Battle Coliseum, but uh, they don't really play a, a major role. A lot of a lot of characters appear in, in Battle Coliseum. So now some final thoughts. To me, King of the Monsters is a, a classic arcade game. It's one of my favorite arcade games ever, and that's a shoot. Like I said, combines two of my favorite entertainment genres and gives it a ton of character and personality. This makes this game very memorable and it still holds up today. Now, this game is not deep. As I said, this is not an SNK fighting game where you can devote hours and hours and hours to learning how to fight as Terry Bogard or Ro Sakazaki. That's not the way this game is. This game is more, uh, you know, more of a two-player button masher smash-em-up. Like I said, it reminds me a lot of the classic WrestleFest from Technos. So, you know, to me, it's they don't really play in the same space. This game does not have the depth. Absolutely. There is no one who will... Uh, I would not disagree with that statement at all. But to me, it's also more fun in a certain way. If you've got two players of relatively 
uh, equal skills in a fighting game, that can be a lot of fun, whether they're both novices, both intermediates, both advanced, whatever. But if you've got one uh, player who is much higher skilled than the other, the fighting game becomes very frustrating. Here, in a button masher, for a two-player game, that's right up this alley. You know, you get uh, you, 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 you get a couple of, of folks together that like giant monsters, like pro wrestling, let them smash it up a few times, mix and match who's fighting who, who's, who's mutt monster, and that, that's, that sounds like a lot of fun. That's entertaining, and you can see why this game was this one particularly, because this game was very common on MVS units. I mean, it's one of the more common MVS games out there available if you have an MVS cabinet, and the AES one sold pretty well too, that you can see why this one was a popular choice, because this would get two quarters from somebody, right? It's like, oh, let's play this monster game. That looks cool. And I said, with the bright graphics and the cities being destroyed, I can't really overstate that because it really is, it does, I mean, at this time in 1991, that wasn't a thing, certainly not in a fighting game to have, or even really a brawler type of game other than, you know, you might have a trash can that you'd kick and pick up an apple to eat because I'm going to eat an apple out of a trash can if I want to get health back. So, to, you know, to have that destructible environment was really novel and really helps, and it totally fits the theme. You can't have a Daikaiju game where they don't destroy anything. No, that doesn't make any sense. That's like Gamera versus Zegra type of situation. Uh, but to me, if you're a monster fan, a wrestling fan, or a monster and wrestling fan of a certain age, if you were, if, if you were an arcade guy or an arcade girl in the 90s and you know this stuff, this is an easy recommend. This is an easy recommend. You will get an enjoyment out of this game. Are you going to put hours and hours on it and post, you know, I, I played 200 hours on King of the Monsters on Video Game Geek? No. But you'll have a lot of fun, and that's the important thing. Now, if you want to play King of the Monsters, and you don't want to go out there and find a uh, Neo Geo AES or an MVS cabinet, uh, you're in luck, because right now, Hamster has put out a ton of classic arcade games uh, on uh, on the uh, the online services for the major uh, console. So if you have a PlayStation 4, a Nintendo Switch, or an Xbox One, this game is available on their respective eShops or uh, PlayStation Store, whatever they call it. I have this on the Switch. I have a Switch Lite, and I bought this game on the Nintendo eShop. It cost $8, and I was so more than happy to pay $8 to play King of the Monsters whenever I wanted. And it is definitely the arcade one, to the point that you have to insert credits and then press player one start. Um, now, you do get the options of the original Japanese version and the original American version. The games play the same, except obviously the text is in Japanese or English, so uh, that one's just your choice. No, no real big deal either way that way. You also have what's called the caravan mode, and the caravan mode, what that is, is that basically you play for five minutes. Once the game starts, once you select your character and all that, and the game starts, you, the, the clock starts. And uh, it's who can get the highest score in five minutes, and then it's posted to the online leaderboard. Now, there is an online leaderboard for the, uh, the other modes as well, so you can see how you compare to other players all around the world playing the game, which is pretty cool. There is also a high score mode, which is uh, similar, where the idea is just to, again, you're, you're playing for high score and you're actually showing you, um, uh, you can't use saves, and it's live. So they have a leaderboard right there going on in high score mode where they show the top top 15 or top 25. I think you can scroll through it in order to uh, to see what the scores are right now of people playing King of the Monsters. So you can you can compete that way. 
Very cool. And again, for like eight bucks, I mean, that that to me is fantastic. Now, if you want to go a little bit older, but not quite back to the Genesis Super Nintendo, um, the SNK Arcade Classics. Oh, I should also say that this is also available on Steam for the PC. So if you want to do it, uh, Hamster has released it for Steam as well. Now, what I was saying is um, back on the PSP, the Wii and the PlayStation 2, if you've got a little bit of an older system, there was a game called SNK Arcade Classics Volume 1, uh, which King of the Monsters is also included on. Now, I have a, P- I have a PS2 and a PSP, uh, but I have never come across a copy of this game, this uh, SNK Arcade Classics Volume 1. I would probably buy it if I got it, because I do love SNK. Uh, so there, there's you know no real question that I would get my money's worth out of it. Um, but again, I haven't found it. You know, uh, PSP games around here are kind of hit and miss. There's a lot more uh, PS2 games out there. I mean, Jesus, cheese and rice. It's the great best-selling system of all time, isn't it? So uh, plenty of that. But uh, again, if I ever come across that, I'll certainly pick it up. But I've got it on the Switch, so so I'm happy. So I throw it out to you, the listener. Have you ever played King of the Monsters? Did you perhaps play this one in the arcade? Did you have the Super Nintendo or Genesis uh, port? Uh, what are what are your memories of this, uh, to me, classic of the giant monster video game genre? Uh, please write in, earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, and we can talk about it here on the show. All right, we are going to be taking a quick break, and we'll be right back to finish up here on Earth Destruction Directive. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. Okay, we are back on Earth Destruction Directive, and it's time for a little bit of listener feedback, and if you would like to be a part of the show with listener feedback, you can send an email to earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter, just listen to the outro to the show, and uh, that will have all the information that you need. So, our first email comes from Michael Hamilton, and is entitled Godzilla vs. Hedra. Hey Luke, I wish I could say I was a long-time listener, but I recently discovered Earth Destruction Directive through a friend of mine, Nathan Marchand of the Monster Island Film Vault podcast. I'm really loving what I'm hearing so far. Thank you very much. That is much appreciated, Michael. Michael continues, as for Godzilla vs. Hedra, pronounced Hedra, not Hedora, the film has honestly grown on me over the years, oozing into my top ten overall. I've transitioned from wanting only monster wrestling, 
Uh, what'd you think of King of the Monsters then, huh? <laughs> That's just monster wrestling. Uh, to desiring more substantive content. The Save the Earth message is very heavy-handed, but in line with what we had seen from the franchise up to this point. The film is definitely different, and at times unsettling. I think that was the point that director Yoshimitsu Bano was trying to make. Can we all admit now that cats are just a superior species? Lol. Now that's about the only reason that uh, he could survive in that sludge, right? That kitty cat. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right on point. You know, um, uh, Bano wanted to shock people. I think he wanted people to be pushed into taking up the cause of, of the, you know, the, the green movement. So... I, I don't disagree with you. Like I said, I was I was not a fan of this movie when I was a kid, but I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it covering it for the show, which is honestly one of the most fun things about this podcast. It's one thing I would watch a movie that I love. You know, like watch like the second episode of this show, I watched Gator the Three-Headed Monster, which I've seen dozens of times, and I love that movie, and I still love it. But when I watch something like Godzilla's Hedra, which I'm like, eh, I'm kind of mediocre on this, and to have me be as enjoying it as much as I did, that that really uh, that really makes me smile because I, I want to you know I yeah I want to talk about you know my love for this type of stuff, but also I want to you know learn some stuff and grow myself. So uh, it it really was I did really much appreciate that I was able to to get more out of it, and I'm glad that you seem to be in, in a similar situation. Uh, Michael finishes. I'm looking forward to the episode. Keep up the great work, Michael, host of the Kaiju Groupie podcast. So uh, definitely check out Kaiju Groupie. They are um, they, they again they're they're a little bit different format, but you know we're all we're all part of the same. Uh, recently, the last couple of years, really exploding scene of Daikaiju podcast out there on the internet. There's there's a lot of great ones to listen to. Uh, tokupods.com. That's where you want to go. That's a uh, they have a whole listing of both tokusatsu based podcasts and Daikaiju based podcasts. So check out tokupods.com and uh, and they'll be able to hook you up with any of the podcasts that I mentioned on this show with with links and everything else. So uh, Michael, thank you so much for writing in. Really appreciate your your commentary about Guns Over's Hedra and I hope you continue to enjoy the show. Our next email is from DGA2538 who is Rich. Uh, Rich recently wrote in to get back to the wrestling. I didn't have your name, Rich, so uh, I will make a note of that and uh, hopefully we can continue to uh, correspond in the future. Uh, Rich writes in about Earth Destruction Directive number 82, and he writes, Hello, Mr. Giaconetti. Once again, I have to applaud you on an excellent episode of Ultraman. Uh, Your guest, Professor Allen, caught my attention when he mentioned Channel 20 in Washington, D.C., with which I watched many of these shows on. I'm sorry, but I didn't catch his age, but I'm sure you probably saw some of the same shows as I did uh, when I was growing up in D.C. Being 54 now, my mornings waking up have may be a bit different. It was Spider-Man, Cool McCool, The Beatles, then off to school. I can also relate to the color TV and the black and white TV. Of course, the color TV, I was the remote control. Anyone growing up in my generation knows exactly what that means when you watch the show until your parents say, change the channel. I'm sure you won't take this the wrong way. Many of your shows on the Two True Freaks Network have some old shows on there who can appreciate a lot of the stuff that some of us older folks grew up on, and I think that's why I really enjoy this network. So I hope you all keep them stomping, keep watching the skies, keep watching for Jaws, and we'll see you at the matches. Thank you. Rich, thank you for that wonderful email. Yeah, um, 
the professor is a little bit older than me. So I think you and him might be in similar demographics. Um, the one that always gets me, I recently recorded an episode with Tom Panneries and Tom is a few years older than me, but not, but we're still pretty close in age. And he grew up also with all the New York channels and, uh, Scott Honeywell, or Scott Honeywell, I could find him, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, they also grew up with the New York channels. So talking about WPIX channel 11, WOR channel nine, uh, WNYW channel five, all those New York channels, especially WPIX and WOR. I have so many memories of those. So yeah, it's, it's really amusing when you, you meet someone that has those, those similar memories, like you're talking about here with this station out of DC. So I'm, I'm glad you, you dug it as far as watching stuff in the morning. I remember watching when I was a kid watching GI Joe in the morning, and then you could watch, the very beginning of Defenders of the Earth. But then once Defenders of the Earth came on, that meant that it was time to go up and go to the bus stop. So I, I've, I've seen a few episodes of Defenders of the Earth, but I really always remember watching G.I. Joe first thing in the morning, eating breakfast with my brother for for many years. And when we got older, it became Sports Center. You always watch Sports Center in the morning so that you knew all the scores and all the news from uh, from the night before so you'd be set up for that. So, Rich, thank you very much for writing it. I'm, I'm glad that that we speak to you here on two true freaks. And you know, if, um, from what you're describing, it seems like you'll fit in just fine on any of these shows. I don't know what your other interests are. If you're into comic books or anything like that, or star Trek or star Wars, but there's a lot of content on two true freaks. We have a lot of different shows and I'm sure there's some stuff on there that, that you will enjoy. So I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you're enjoying our destruction directive and get back to the wrestling. And I hope you continue to listen. Thank you very much. Okay, our next email comes from Richard Jordan, who says, I heard my answer on the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Richard writes, I was wondering why you hadn't replied to my email, and now I know why. This was your Gaiden 23, the monstrous mailbag. I got very lucky, I think, with my second listen to your podcast, in my opinion, and really enjoyed hearing about the Majin movies in or Destruction Act of 81. I hadn't heard about these films before, but now I'm excited about them. I had been lucky enough to learn of Varan and Atragon, for instance, but didn't realize what else was out there. You know, that's a good point. You know, we all know Godzilla. You know, a lot of people know Gamera. But, you know, some of these more obscure things, you, you learn about by, by digging in. You don't necessarily find it, especially if they're ones that aren't necessarily super available, like the the, the Daimonjin movie. So, you know, that's one of the things that, that I enjoy about uh, about just doing this podcast is that I get to talk about things that everybody knows, but then I get to talk about obscure stuff too. You know, and I do sometimes enjoy that because to, you know, it, to me, it's like, I don't know a ton about it. So um, a lot of it, I'm seeing it for maybe only the, the, the cup for, you know, maybe only the second time, maybe the first time. And some of these movies, everybody watches something the first time once. And, uh, you know, it, it's that discovery of new things. Um, so Richard continues, have you done a review on either of those two films, Varan and Atragon? I can tell you that we have not done Atragon. If you give me a second, I can find you where we did Varan. Uh, now Varan we did, uh, was covered on this, on this, uh, show. It's been a number of years, but we did do it. Let me get to the two true freaks site here real quick and take a look when we did that. Now the thing that that was... When was that? I always, I know we did Varan, and Varan's such an odd movie too because you get the, uh, you know, the this just the the background on it's almost more interesting than the movie itself, with the idea that it was started out as a uh, American TV production and then their their American partner backed out, so Toe said, "Well, we already shot all this stuff. We can't 
we can't not make a movie out of this. So they continued and turned it into a feature. Uh, but that's why the movie's in black and white after the previous ones had been in color. So, um, okay, so Varan was covered in episode 45 back in February 11th, 2016. So if you want to check that out, you can go back into the archives and you can uh, take a listen to that. There's some good episodes around it. We've got Guide 9, which uh, features my brother and Dr. Bill Robinson talking about frogs. Uh, 46 features uh, uh, Gamera versus Guren. And uh, right before it, episode 44, is Marvel Godzilla issue number one. So some good stuff back there in the archives if you want to go check it out. They're all free. They're all free on the Two True Freaks website. So if you're, uh, if you're interested in, in that, go check that out. Uh, Richard continues, also, have you done reviews on any comics aside from Marvel? I'm partial to the Dark Horse ones myself. Um, first off, thank you very much for writing in, uh, Richard. Very much appreciate it. I uh, hope you're continuing to enjoy the show. Uh, we've done a good deal of comics, mostly IDW. Uh, so we did all of the Marvel Godzilla, like you said. We did all of Marvel Shogun Warriors. Uh, covered uh, the... I did an episode on the first IDW series, Kingdom of Monsters, which I did not like. Uh, we did uh, Gangsters and Goliaths. We did uh, Half Century War. We did all of volume... The second IDW series, just simply titled Godzilla. We did, I think, Godzilla Oblivion? Or Cataclysm? I forget the name of that one. But we did another miniseries. It was Cataclysm. That's the one I'm looking at the site right here. So we've done a good deal of the IDW. The reason I haven't done the Dark Horse is I don't have all of it. I only have a couple um, uh, single issues. And I do have one of the trades. But I don't have all of that series. Which is the reason I'm holding off. Now that said, I did cover the Godzilla Color Special. Which is my favorite Godzilla comic book of all time. So that is in the archives if you if you want to dig that up. Also, Professor Allen and I did cover um, an Ultraman comic series, which was uh, put out by Harvey Comics. Uh, so we did, in fact, talk about that series, which was uh, covering the Ultraman Towards the Future series. Uh, that's back in episode 41. So we do have a bunch of comics in there. So, again, take a look in the archives and dig around. I'm sure you can find some comic stuff. And, again, thank you very much uh, for writing in. Really appreciate your, your patronage. Okay, I think we're going to kind of call it there. We've got another email uh, in the email bag from uh, my good friend Adam Tebow, but we'll save that one for next time. Hi, Adam. Hope everything's going okay. Uh, so, again, if you would like to write into Earth Destruction Directive, please email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com or reach out to me on, uh, on Facebook or Twitter. And speaking of social media, social media likes, shares, and retweets for the last episode, which was... Uh, uh, featuring Godzilla vs. Hedra, like we talked about on uh, episode 83, came from Jason Giaconetti while well, he was on the show, uh, Two True Freaks, Nathan Marchand, and Jimmy from NASA. Together they are the Monster Island Film Vault, Billy D, a.k.a. Doctor Strange, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Kirk Spencer, the Kaiju Groupie Podcast, History of Comics on Film, Bill Lomax, the Monsters vs. Men Podcast, Mr. Bones, Derek Cook, Gene Hendricks, Bro Rad, Chuck Rodriguez, Brian Severe, Derek W. Crab, Derek W.C., Chris Mounts, Joey Weiser, Robert Ward, Movies, 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 Patrick Delmore, David A. Pascarella, Sean Foster, Logan Garrett, and the aforementioned Adam Tebow. So thank you, everyone, for your social media uh, affection. It really helps the show out, getting word out there. Really appreciate that. So 
as we come to the end, as I say, we must always look forward. And what are we going to be covering next time? Well, uh, just recently here at Earth Destruction Directive Home Base, the new Aero Video Gamera box set landed. Yes, it is a thing of beauty. You could probably, to uh, coi- to borrow a phrase from the fantastic ass, you could club a vagrant to death with it. It is so heavy. Uh, but we are going to be digging into that, and we're taking a look at our next Showa Gamera film. We are looking at the final Showa Gamera film, Super Monster Gamera. This is a movie I have not seen in at least 30 years. And I am very much looking forward to this. You know, there's been a, a lot of chatter online lately uh, in the Daikaiju community, especially on Twitter, about all monsters attack and the use of stock footage in movies. So uh, we're going to see uh, some stock footage in this and compare and contrast this, I think, because is Super Monster Gamera due for a reevaluation? We'll find out together on the next episode. So uh, be there for that. Also, I'm just really looking forward to breaking into that box. It really is is so nice. Um, uh, before I go, I do want to take a moment and say that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. All are welcome on this show. If you are interested in Japanese giant monsters, if you're a seasoned vet, you're a grizzled young vet, or you're a a novice and you want to just learn something, or maybe you accidentally clicked on one of my links and said, what is this guy talking about? You are welcome here. You are welcome to be part of the show and interact with us. Um, No, you know, that's just the way that I have always run the show, and that's the way it's always going to be here. So you are welcome to join us. Uh, I hope that you will join us next time out. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. This was a lot of fun. I got to play a lot of King of the Monsters on my Switch Lite uh, to the point that my sons kept running over. And my wife was like, you're not watching him play that game anymore. So uh, kids love it. That's, a, that's another thing to know. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you'll join us next time for a little Super Monster Gamera. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle Eljacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on and it won't cost you anything extra. 
Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.